0: Good morning. Welcome to Veritas. So good to uh, be here. Welcome to Veritas. I hope you guys all had a great and happy Fourth of July. I know we had a lot of people throwing some great parties. I had a, I had a blast uh, spending a lot of time with you guys and uh, connecting back in. So uh, welcome back. It's, uh, it's good. Uh, for those of you who are new over the past couple months, my name is Brad. I'm the preaching and teaching pastor of the Tri-Village congregation and uh, it was we were totally blessed by this church we were sent on about a month long sabbatical and uh, my wife and uh, two daughters we went out to New Mexico and got to spend just over a month out there uh, watching a lot of sunsets doing a lot of hiking a lot of praying and just a lot of just refreshing as a family and it was uh, it was a huge blessing I just want to thank you guys so much for your prayers and your encouragement and how, uh, how blessed we felt by you um, to be sent and, uh, and just refreshed. It was, a, it was a good time. It took me a few weeks to actually even realize just how emotionally and, and spiritually and mentally drained I was. Uh, but God was so good to us as a family. Um, uh, yeah, just, just really blessing us with great time. Um, but it's also really good to be back. It was a great week to come back to Upper Arlington on 4th of July. A little ridiculous, I'm not going to lie, but it was still nice. It was great. Um, And also like what you guys have done with the place while I was gone. You guys like rearranged the furniture here, so that's fun as well. Um, But we're going to be continuing to dig in to the book of Genesis. And uh, we're seeing here in this book, this first book of the Bible, the fundamental truth of our faith, the gospel of grace. As this displayed story after story after story of God's continual loving kindness to people who don't deserve it. His, his kindness to people like us. That though we run from him fast, he pursues us faster still. That though we run and try to hide, our God chases us down to bless us. And this morning, we're going to look into chapter 32, and we're going to see once again that God shows up, and this man Jacob is never the same again. See, over the past few weeks, we've followed the story of Jacob's life, particularly his life and his relationship with his brother Esau, and we've seen how this family that is just an absolute train wreck can still have God bless and move through it. I mean, I know many of you probably feel like you know your family's a little dysfunctional, but This family takes dysfunction to like a whole new level. I mean, their varsity and their dysfunction. And yet, at the same time, Nancy Guthrie points out that in this mess of a family, in spite of Isaac's opposition to God's will, in spite of Rebecca's manipulation, in spite of Jacob's deceit, in spite of Esau's indifference and selfishness, God's perfect promised will is still accomplished. And and I hope that gives you a little bit of hope. I hope that gives you a little bit of hope because if you've ever believed or thought that God might have at one point had a plan for your life, a plan for your family's life, he might have had that plan going at some point, but surely by now you've blown it. Surely by now you've ruined his plan. You think you've ruined what he wanted to use you for or do through you with your rebellion or your resistance or your choices or your mistakes. But what we see here in the story is that God's grace is greater still. God's grace is inexhaustible. And we see that so clearly in Jacob that God has no problem bringing blessing from disaster. You see, before Jacob is even born, he's scheming, he's conniving, he's wrestling. We're told that he wrestled his his twin brother in the womb. And that when his twin brother was born first, Jacob was holding on to his heel, as if he was trying to be the first one out. And so they named him Jacob, which meant to take by the heel, to cheat, to deceive, to manipulate. And then we see him grow up into that name where he manipulates his brother out of his birthright as the firstborn. We see him deceive his father into getting his father's blessing by tricking him into thinking he's Esau. He then runs for his life from Esau and he goes to live with his uncle who's really a master con man himself. And then we see for 20 years these two con men go after one another trying to get the upper hand. Until finally Jacob tricks Laban out of the majority of his livestock and then flees back for home. I mean, really, throughout the whole story of Jacob's life, his mom is the only one who likes him. Some of you know what that's like. You're a man that only a mother could love. And so when we pick up the story here, God calls him home. He calls him back to the promised land, eventually back to Bethel, where God first appeared to him over the ladder. And what's interesting is that to get back to Bethel geographically, Jacob didn't have to go anywhere near Esau. He could have stayed far away from Esau, gone back where the Lord called him to, Left the past in the past and just gone back geographically. But spiritually, spiritually, there was no way for Jacob to get back to the rest of the promised land without going through reconciliation with his brother. There was no way for Jacob to get back to rest and to the promised land apart from going right through repentance and reconciliation with his brother. And so we see when Jacob gets close, he actually sends messengers ahead of him to Esau to say that he has returned and he seeks forgiveness. And immediately when Esau hears that his brother's coming back, Esau must jump up and gather all the men he knows and said, my brother's back, we gotta move, we gotta go. Because the messengers don't seem to stick around long enough to find out what Esau's doing. And they just hightail it back to Jacob as fast as they can. And they said, okay, Jacob, we told your brother that you're back, and no sooner did the words come out of our mouth, than he jumped up and got all of the strong men with him, and he's coming here now. And Jacob's horrified. He's absolutely horrified. We read that it says that he was greatly afraid and distressed. I mean, you've had the pit of your stomach drop out. Just imagine what Jacob feels because the only thing he can think is that his brother's on his way to kill him. I mean, have you ever noticed that when you have a guilty conscience, inevitably you'll interpret everyone else's actions towards you as negative? You know what I mean? Like when I've done something wrong and then Courtney's like quiet for a minute, all of a sudden I'm like bursting out of my skin going, I can't take it anymore, why do you hate me? She's like, what are you talking about? Or it's like you've been a jerk to somebody and they're like, hey, you wanna go go get lunch sometime? And you're like, why? like somewhere in public with witnesses, I mean other people. You just instantly interpret everyone's actions towards you as negative. And so Jacob, Jacob's absolutely sure that his reckoning's coming. And so for the first time, we see him get on his knees and pray. And finally, instead of negotiating and manipulating, he simply appeals to God based off of God's promises. He says, God, you've promised to do good to me and I know I don't deserve it. Because He says, I know I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown me. You see, he knows he doesn't deserve The blessing. He just begs God to save him. He said, please God, deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau. For I fear him. I fear that he will come and attack me. It's actually a beautiful, humble prayer. And it's the first time Jacob's starting to trust in God and not in his own craftiness. But if you notice, in chapter 32, verse 9, in the beginning of this prayer, he calls God the God of my father Abraham, God the fa- of, the, of my father Isaac. It's very clear that Jacob does not yet think that God is his God. He tries to approach God through his father rather than through himself. He's depending on the faith of his family to be the means that he can approach God because he doesn't yet have a faith relationship with God himself. And so after this prayer, he comes up with a plan. And he divides up a series of gifts of goats and sheep and camel and cows and donkeys. And he divides them all up and he sends them ahead of him to his brother. One after another after another, wave after wave after wave. And his, his plan is that maybe he can wear down his brother's anger and appease him by sending him virtually all of his great wealth. And then after that, he sends the rest of his family across the river so that everything he has stands between Esau and him. And he's left on the far side of the river, completely and utterly alone. And then God shows up in the night to wrestle him. And so let's read this little section here, verse 22 to 32. The same night he arose and he took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven children, and he crossed the ford to the of the Jabbok. And he took them and sent them across the stream, and everything else that he had, and Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. And when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket. And Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. And then he said, let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. And then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it you're asking my name? And then there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. And the sun rose upon him, and he passed into Peniel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. See, now we so often think of this story as a story about how to wrestle blessings away from God, don't we? We've probably even heard it preached like that, and I can see why, because that preaches really good. It preaches really good to say, well, this is how you can wrestle blessings away from God. I mean, if we did a series here on how to wrestle your blessings away from God, I mean, you could, brilliant, you could like divide it up on how to use the, uh, the, the headlock of a quiet time. Or the pile driver of prayer, the armbar of good deeds, all to manipulate God and get him to submit to your will and to do what you desire him to do. That'd preach well, wouldn't it? But that's actually the exact opposite of what's happening here. It's literally the exact opposite of what's happening in the story. Because you see, studying the Bible, prayer, and loving others, they aren't ways to negotiate with and manipulate God. They aren't ways to get God to submit to your will. They are grace-given means that God uses to submit us to his will. And that's where we actually find blessing. You see, this passage isn't about how we can chase down God to get blessing. This passage is how God chases down us to bless us. You see, God's the initiator here. God's the one who pursues. God's the one who shows up. God's the one who's pursuing Jacob, and he goes in grace to bless him. And you might think, well, Brad, kicking somebody's butt in the middle of the night is a really odd way to bless. And yeah, you're right. It's a pretty odd way to bless somebody. So let's look into it a bit deeper, because way back in chapter 28, if you remember, when Jacob was leaving his land, when he was running for, for his life, from his brother Esau, the last time we saw Jacob alone and afraid in the middle of the night, God showed up. And God showed up and gave him this incredible blessing of standing over a ladder and promising to be with Jacob. God showed up to this man who was broke, who was alone, and who had caused trouble for everyone whom he had ever met. He had basically been a walking curse on everyone who knew him. And God shows up, and God promises to give this broke man land, to give this lonely man a family, and to make this man who had been a curse on everyone he had known into a blessing to every family on the entire earth. That's what God showed up and told Jacob But then Jacob turns God's promised blessing into a negotiation. Jacob says, okay, God, if you do all of this stuff, if you do everything you've promised to do for me, if you actually do that, then I'll let you be my God. You see, Jacob wanted the blessings, but he didn't really want the blesser. He wanted the blessings, but he really didn't want the one who blesses. And so while God gave Jacob everything he desired, wealth and family and power, once again, right here, Jacob is all alone with absolutely nothing, and he's fearing his life. Everything he asked God for, he received. Everything he thought he needed, he had. Everything he thought he could trust in to save him was nowhere near him. You see, he was a man who used God and used others his whole life, and so far it had worked for him. But while Jacob got everything he wanted, it brought him no satisfaction. It brought him no joy. He got the birthright, he got the blessings, he got the beautiful wife, he got the many sons, he got the great possessions. And yet, even though he got the birthright, he was alienated from his home. Even though he got the blessing from his father, he was alienated from his father. Even though he got the beautiful wife, he got it at the cost of any peace in his home. Even though he got all the sons he could hope for, we find out in the future that they turn on one another and hate each other. Even though he got more possessions than he could dream of having, he is now giving them all away in hopes that it just might spare his life. You see, everything that Jacob trusted in, everything that he identified himself by, It's gone. And in the midst of having everything, Jacob is completely and utterly alone. And he's afraid. Do any of you feel like that? Do any of you feel alone? Are you worried all the time? Are you lonely and anxious even though you might have everything. Maybe you feel alone right now in the middle of a room full of people. Maybe you've thought like Jacob if I can only get a husband or a wife, if I can only own my own home, if I can only get that great job, if I could only have a family, if I could only get my dad's approval, then my life will mean something. Then I'll be somebody. Then I'll be happy. Then all this anxiety that is constantly flooding my life will go away. Only to get those things and define the same anxiety and the same loneliness still ruling you. I remember one moment particularly when everything I had trusted in all my life was gone. I was all alone and I was terrified. I was in college. I was a pretty new Christian, and I was selected to a, to do a research project uh, by Miami University, and I was sent to Eastern Europe. And I'd gotten on the plane and traveled there, wandered through Prague, and finally found my hostel as night was coming. I was four thousand miles from any human being I knew. I had no friends, I had no family, I had no reputation to rely on, I had no language, I had no other Christians. And at night when the sun went down, I just felt a darkness of a loneliness just settle in on my soul. And I sat on my bed and I wept, because I was terrified. Everything I had trusted in and hoped in, everything that I thought could save me in my time of need was gone. And so here we're actually going to see what God does when we're worried and alone. What God does when everything else we trust in is gone. And it's, it's kind of scary. It's kind of scary because, I mean, Jacob had prayed, he had begged God for help. And then God shows up, and he doesn't show up to fight Esau. He shows up to fight Jacob. I mean, this is weird, right? Like, Jacob's terrified. He's alone, and he's begging God for help. And God says, yeah, I'll help you. He shows up in the middle of the night, rings the bell. Jacob probably thinks it's his alarm clock going off, but it's the start of an MMA fight, and God just elbow drops him. You see, Jacob thought that tomorrow was going to be the day when he faced the one that he had been running from and wrestling with all his life. Jacob thought, tomorrow I'll meet Esau. Tomorrow's going to be the day when I meet the one I've been running from and wrestling. But it was actually that night when Jacob met the one he was running from and wrestling all his life. And it wasn't Esau. It's right here while Jacob is all alone and has nothing else to turn to or trust in that Jacob meets his God and he finally finds what he's been chasing after and wrestling for. You see, we discover what we can really trust in when it's all we have left. And so God shows up, and he wrestles Jacob. We see it in verse 24. And Jacob was left alone, and the man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint, and he wrestled with him. See, now, I don't think that Jacob realizes right away who he's wrestling with. It's dark, somebody just grabs him. And it's strange because it it seems like God can't overcome him, doesn't it? Like it seems like God's met his match in this conniving little mama's boy. Because it says that the man couldn't prevail against him. So, what's going on here? I think maybe the best way to understand it is when I wrestle with my daughter Scarlett, she's three, I don't wrestle with her in my strength. I set aside my strength and I wrestle with her in weakness. I let her knock me over. I hold on to her, I roll around, I, I, I let her wrestle me. And so I guess this text also gives a point of consideration for you who are having your sons or daughters start to be able to overpower you. You just need to dislocate something in there to maintain your upper hand. Um, but really, if if God had shown up in all of his power to wrestle Jacob, Jacob would have been destroyed, not saved. It's interesting that God shows up in apparent weakness to save us, doesn't he? That's where his strength is shown. And so instead of showing up in power and destroying Jacob, God makes himself weak so that he won't destroy Jacob, but he'll save him. And yet, God gives Jacob a glimpse of his power. Because in the very same verse that it says the man could not prevail over Jacob, it says what? It says that he touched his hip and put it out of joint. Touch there literally means to tap. It means the lightest touch. This man who had been wrestling with gives Jacob a glimpse of his power when he just taps his hip and then instantly Jacob is wounded for the rest of his life. He's crushed. He's broken. He has no strength to trust in any longer. And that's the moment that everything changes. You see, at first Jacob is trying to fight this man off. He's trying to do whatever he can to get away from this man until he's touched and he's broken and he's crippled. Because then in that moment, Jacob's no longer trying to do everything in his power to get away from this man. Jacob's trying to do everything in his power to stay near to this man. He's no longer fighting him off. He's clinging to. He's trying to hang on. And so as he clings to him, then God says to him, let me go for the day has broken. And Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And that's where we see the subtle shift of the desire that has ruled Jacob's life his whole life. You see, think about Jacob here. He had wrestled his whole life for a blessing. His whole life he had desired to hear words of blessing for his father. He had longed to be called a name that wasn't at the same time an insult. His whole life he had chased after blessing and acceptance and a name with a single-minded obsession. It ruled his every desire and hope. Can you relate to that? Does anyone here long to hear a word of encouragement and acceptance from your father or your mother? Would you do anything to be known By something other than your faults and shortcomings do you go to any effort to hide them you see Jacob's whole life he was obsessed with blessings his life started out with him grasping at the heel of his brother to try and gain the blessing of the firstborn He manipulated for blessings. He deceived for it. He lied for it. He cheated for it. He stole for it. He worked for it. He wrestled for it. He used God and he used everyone at his disposable, disposal to get it. But here it's when we finally see that he gets what he's wrestled for. He gets a blessing. Because he finally submits. He finally stops wrestling and he just starts clinging. He seeks the blesser and not just the blessing. You see, we talk about this all the time here at Veritas. That the greatest blessing you could ever receive from God is God. That God isn't like a father who just buys his kids lavish, expensive gifts to make up for the fact that he's never there for them. That our God is a God who gives the very best, he gives himself to us. And so, here, wounded and broken, Jacob has God. And Jacob won't let go. He has God, and so God asks him his name. Now, do you remember the last time Jacob sought a blessing from someone? He was asked who he was. He went to his father, seeking a blessing, and he was asked by his father who he was, and Jacob lied. And he said he was Esau. He lied because he thought, the only way I can obtain a blessing is to pretend to be somebody else. My only hope to get a blessing is to be someone else. That's the only hope I have to be accepted. But here, as he seeks a blessing, he finally says who he really is. And this isn't an introduction. This isn't an introduction between God and Jacob. They'd met before. When God asked Jacob his name, he's saying, who are you? And for Jacob to say his name, it was an act of confession. He's saying, I'm a deceiver. I'm a manipulator. I'm a liar. I'm a cheat. That's who I am. I have no hope for a blessing, but that's who I am. And finally, humbled and vulnerable, Jacob doesn't deceive. He owns up to who he is. And in saying his name, he's just begging for grace. He's not deceiving. He's not manipulating. He's not cheating. He's asking for grace. And then God responds with more grace than we could ever dream of making sense of. And he simply says, Not anymore. Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. You see, God says, Your name isn't Jacob anymore. Your name is Israel because Israel means God fights. You see, God gives Jacob a name and an identity that is no longer marked by his past or by his failures, but a name that's marked by God's victory. A name that's marked by God's righteousness. A name that's marked by grace. And then at that moment, God declares Jacob the winner. Isn't that absolutely insane? Jacob's broken, crippled, crushed. And God says the moment Jacob just starts clinging to him and begging for a blessing and for grace, God blesses him, gives him a name, and declares him the victor, declares him the winner. Because you see, it's when Jacob was defeated and submits to God, when he stops fighting and deceiving and just starts clinging and confessing. That's when Jacob wins. That's when Jacob wins. And that's when Jacob is blessed. See, if if God asked you your name, what would you answer? if he asked you what you're called, what you're known as, what would you answer? Would you say, I'm fearful? I'm deceitful? I'm a manipulator? I'm unreliable? I'm selfish? I'm cynical? I'm anxious? I'm greedy? I'm lazy? I'm arrogant? What are you known as? What's your name? What does your name come to mean that you so desperately wish was different? You see, you don't have to fight or deceive to get a new name, because by his grace, God gives you a new name in Christ. He gives you a name that isn't marked by sin or failure, but by his righteousness and victory. He says, yeah, that's who you were. That's the one I came to fight. And now that I've defeated them, let me tell you who you are. You see, in Christ, you don't have to be fearful because Christ is bold. You don't have to be deceitful because he is the truth. You don't have to manipulate because he's sovereign. You don't have to be unreliable and fickle because he is faithful. You don't have to be selfish because he has given himself for you. You see, so often we feel that we are wrestling God, and God is indeed fighting, but he is fighting our sin nature. He's fighting that old man. And we just get confused as to what side of the fight to jump in on. He's saying, I'm fighting Jacob so I can set Israel free. See, Jacob was a man, again, who used God and others all his life to get what he wanted. But none of the blessings he wrestled for and chased after ever satisfied him. You see, because it's only when you have the blessing of God that you can enjoy the blessings from God. Jacob got everything he desired and it brought him no joy until God wrestled him and pinned him and subdued him until God broke him. Because you see, Jacob only won this battle when he stopped wrestling and started clinging and he stopped trying to get God's blessing by his effort and started to beg for it by God's grace. See, God's fight against Jacob was really a fight for Jacob. God has to be all that you cling to, all that you can never let go before you can begin to enjoy everything else he blesses you with and everything else you have. And so broken and defeated, yet declared the winner by grace, Jacob asks this man his name. And the response is just a rhetorical question. God says, why are you asking my name, Jacob? You know who I am. You know who I am. You know who I am. You've been wrestling with me all your life. You know who I am. And Jacob does because he names that place Peniel, which means I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. I've seen God, and I received grace. You see, and then as the sun rises, Jacob walks away with a new name, and he also walks away with a limp. Verse 31 says, The sun rose upon him as he passed Peniel, limping because of his hip. You see, you can't separate the blessing from the wounding. God blessed Jacob by wounding Jacob. And that might sound scary because it is. It is. You see, this is is the God who C.S. Lewis wrote so beautifully about in the Chronicles of Narnia. When Lucy and Mr. Beaver are talking about Aslan, the lion, the Christ figure in the story. And Lucy asks Mr. Beaver about this lion king. She asks, is he safe? And Mr. Beaver laughs back saying, safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. You see, if you're wondering how can a limp be a blessing, when God blesses you with grace, he gives all of himself to you through faith in Christ. And then he spends the rest of your life walking with Christ, dislocating everything else you trusted in and everything else you sought to be your strength. He dislocates it, he removes it from you. And so he takes your strut and he gives you a limp. He takes the strut of self-righteousness, the strut of strength, and he gives you a limp so you'll lean on him because that will be the first time in your life you actually walk in strength. You see, this doesn't mean that God takes away everything you love. It doesn't mean that you become less of yourself. What it means is that you actually become more and more and more of the true self that God created you to be that you become more able to love and enjoy the blessing God continually gives. In a sense, what God does is he makes you weak in yourself so that you can finally be strong in him. It's just like he said to Paul when Paul was wounded. He says, my grace is sufficient for you because my power is made perfect in weakness. And so you see, as the sun rises, Jacob sees Esau coming with these 400 men. And though the night before, he sent his family and everything else he owned ahead of him to act as a human shield, this morning, walking with a limp, it says he walks ahead of his family, limping towards his brother. With nothing left to negotiate with, no way to deceive, he simply bows to his brother and repents. It says that Jacob bows before his brother seven times. And then in chapter 33, verse 4, Esau is running at him. And I don't know why, but I kind of imagine this being a lot like Scott Hambrick running at me. You know, with that beard, it's probably really hard to tell if he's smiling or gritting his teeth. And with those giant arms, it's probably really hard to tell if you're being hugged or crushed. And so it probably takes Jacob a little while to figure out that he isn't being attacked. That he's being embraced. That those aren't bites, they're kisses. That his shirt isn't soaking wet from blood, but from tears. Think about that moment the one Jacob had feared his whole life was going to destroy him, the one that should have destroyed him, ran to him to accept him and to pour grace on him and to embrace him in love and in joy. Can you imagine that moment in Jacob's life? But do you see the picture of the gospel here? do you realize the gospel in this moment? You might think that after what I've done, how could God accept me and embrace me? Just like the prodigal son returning and seeing his father running at him on the road, or Jacob hearing that his brother is rushing to meet him, the thought of God running at you probably sounds horrifying and yet like the prodigal son like Jacob in Christ we aren't attacked or embraced we aren't cursed or kissed we aren't cast out we're accepted with tears of joy do you realize that's how God is pursuing you? Do you realize that's how God is running after you to you accept you in Christ? Not because of any gift you sent before, not because of any strength you've wrestled with, but because Jesus has fought for you. You see, the reason God can bless someone who deserves a curse is because in the gospel, he cursed someone who deserved a blessing. You see, in the gospel of John, we see another man wrestle with God alone in the middle of the night while men are coming after him. And Jesus in the garden, as he wrestled with God in prayer, submitted submitted his will to the father's once again in, in Jesus's life he was asked in the gospel of John are you greater than our father Jacob yeah he definitely is because you see Jacob held on to God at the risk of his life to obtain a blessing for himself but Jesus was cut off from God at the cost of his life to gain a blessing for you. You see, our God truly came down as a man to wrestle with our sin and apparent weakness because it seemed that he was defeated by sinful men, but in that moment he actually won his victory and credited it to us, calling us victorious. That's the gospel. Listen, the same hand that wounded Jacob was pierced and nailed to a cross for you. Jesus took the only wound that can ultimately harm you so that you can know that everything else he does to you and for you is to bless you. And we see that the, ne- the very next day after Jacob is forgiven by his brother, he claims this new name and he becomes Israel. And God becomes his God. At the very end of chapter 33, Jacob builds an altar and he calls it El Elohi Israel, which means God the God of Israel. God became Jacob's God. And I think it's that day, for the first time in Jacob's whole life, he actually enjoyed every other blessing God had given him because he finally had a hold of the blesser so listen, if, you're, if you feel like you're wrestling with God, stop trying to win. And just hold on to him. If you haven't trusted Christ before, trust him and let him be your God. Realize that he's running to you to embrace you in lavish grace, weeping, and joy. Realize that you're not gonna be cursed but kissed because Christ was cursed by a kiss. So you see, if you feel like you're wrestling him, ask yourself, how can I cling to God and trust him in the midst of what I'm facing in my life right now? Because the only way to win is to submit and to let him fight for you. And to help one another to become a people that more quickly submit to God. Because the only way to walk in blessing is to walk with a limp. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace. This lavish grace that chases us down, that runs to us. This grace that will humble us that will wound us to bless us and that we thank you so much that Christ took the wound that would kill us lord got to pray that you would bring our hearts to trust by faith that you'd stir us to to trust you lord that you would Let us find our name, our identity, our hope in Christ. Lord, would you stir us up in faith, Lord, to to worship you, to celebrate that, to be identified by you. And so, Lord, it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And so every week we remember and we rejoice in the fact that Jesus fought for us, that he gave his life for us, so that we might be forgiven, so that we might be accepted, so that we might be blessed. To reconcile us to God and to reconcile us to one another. So take a moment to be in your seat and to pray, to seek God, praising him that he's reconciled to you and perhaps you need to be reconciled with somebody else. And I encourage you to don't leave this place without doing that. Because the person you've been fearing or the person you might be hating, you might just be welcomed in grace. So please stand with me as we have our communion reading, as we read and rejoice in the, the communion Christ has purchased for us with God. And as we recognize how we too might worship God By giving the abundance of what he's given to us. Jesus's death brings us life and this meal reminds us that we are fed by Jesus and forgiven because of Jesus. We rejoice that you have died, have risen, and are now with the Father advocating for us. Amen. With our money, time, and talent we give generously knowing that through your son Jesus you have generously given to us. We rejoice that you have given everything And we joyfully give everything back to your care. Amen. Please come forward in a moment and tear a piece of the bread off and dip it into the juice. And you'll find baskets here in the front and the back to give out of the joy of what God's given you.